Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. It's official. Oscar Piastri will be a McLaren race driver in Formula One next season. The Contract Recognition Board ruled against Alpine and in favour of McLaren, clearing the path for the Aussie to land the seat alongside Lando Norris for 2023. He'll become the first Melbourne-born driver to compete at a World Championship Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne next April. In other widely expected and now confirmed news, Michael Massey is the new chairman of the Supercars Commission. The former Formula One race director has been expected to take the role for several weeks and his appointment has now been confirmed by Supercars. Tragic news from the off-road racing world with a double fatality at the Rainbow Desert Enduro Round of the Australian Off-Road Championship over the weekend. The event was called off following the incident with police reporting that a vehicle hit a tree and caught fire. The format has been locked in for the Adelaide 500. The reborn event will continue to be held over four days and decided over two 250-kilometre races. The hard compound Dunlop tyre will be the compulsory compound. The Anderson Motorsport wildcard dream is over. The builder from Bathurst won't be on the great race grid this year, with supercars confirming it will be a 28-car field. Blanchard Racing Team will be without its team manager, Brendan Hogan, until at least the end of this season. Hogan will shift to an automotive role within the Cool Drive business, while Tim Blanchard and Matt Nielsen will share the team manager role for BRT. In other BRT news, Todd Hazelwood has emerged as the favourite to replace Tim Slade next season. Hazelwood is in the first of a multi-year deal with Matt Stone Racing, but looks set to be on the move. Premier Racing has made a significant signing for the remainder of the 2022 supercar season, landing Bathurst winning engineer Dr. Jeffrey Slater. Jackson Evans will undergo an evaluation day with Brad Jones Racing later this month, suggesting that he will land the Bathurst 1000 slot alongside Jack Smith. And Thomas Randall will pay tribute to Pukakoe this weekend with a tweaked livery. His Castro Racing Mustang will carry the Torio Maori phrase, Na mihi Pukakoe, which translates to thank you Pukakoe. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate who made a killing selling orange flares late last week, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. Don't you go linking me to those Dutch hooligans with those flares. <laughs> You're the one with the Dutch heritage here. What's the go? Did you have a couple of those flares going at home during the race? Yep. Yep, I had them going the whole time. I just stuck them up on the roof. Uh, no one could see where they were driving uh, down the road here. They had no idea, but um, but it was worth it just to um, just to celebrate the the rich Dutch areas. I've said it before, and I'll say it again: if you're not Dutch, you're not much, Stefan. So um, anyway, I think we should uh, we should stick with talking to Formula One. Um, that's the big news this week. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo's future may still be unclear, but we will have at least one Aussie on the Formula One grid next season with Oscar Piastri's 
McLaren deal now confirmed. Uh, it's no great surprise, I guess. This is how we all figured it was going to play out. But there's been some very interesting findings from the CRB hearing. Um, to summarise, the CRB ruled that Alpine effectively faffed about way too long getting an official contract in the works for Piastri. And even then, the roadmap was up to two years at Williams, depending on what Fernando Alonso did before Oscar would join Alpine. Um that faffing about has not only cost Alpine one of the hottest young talents uh, on offer, but also well over five hundred thousand euros in legal fees. So it's been it's been a pretty exy exercise, really. Uh, now all this obviously reflects better on Piastri and his management than perhaps the whole saga initially did. Uh, I said in the past that I felt Alpine could you know deserve to feel a little bit hard done by, but I think with all the details at hand now, they really do only have themselves to blame for how this whole thing has shaken out. Uh, Stefan, do you agree with that? I mean, there were some pretty strong personal remarks over Oscar's integrity by the likes of Otmar Safnauer and, and Toto Wolf that haven't really aged that well, Ron. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've totally botched every element of this Alpine, like clearly the legal side, as you mentioned, but also the way they put it into the public in the first place and then the carry-on that they've uh, gone with since. I mean, some of it would be funny if it wasn't so vindictive. And I actually think regardless of who was legally in the right, some of these attacks from the Alpine bosses on Piastri's character have just been really, really poor. Like a big corporation beating up on a young individual, pointing to integrity and making it just so personal is just a really poor look. And I think like that they just controlled that narrative all the way through, like Piastri and, and really also McLaren had to say nothing while all of this was playing out. Yeah. And uh, then this contract recognition board outcome has really exposed uh, Alpine pretty badly. I would say, though, that one of the key takeouts, aside from that, was the timeline of how it all played out and what that actually revealed. So, like, Piastri had signed that McLaren contract on July 4 which was either for a race drive or a reserve driver role. So that allowed McLaren that time to have its discussions with Ricardo and find the solution there. But on July 4, all parties involved thought Alonso was staying at Alpine. So Piastri didn't actually choose McLaren over Alpine. He chose McLaren over Alpine's plan to put him at Williams. So I think, yeah. like, do, do you think that was the right call then from, from Oscar? Like, the McLaren is obviously a more competitive car than the Williams, but he's put himself up against Lando Norris. Yeah, look, I think that's a tough one. Just to back over what you're talking about, about his integrity being attacked, I think, you know, we all thought that was such a blunt move when he put that tweet out saying, I'm not driving for these guys. I don't know where this has come from. But again... You know, it, it, with with all the details, you realise that that really was quite a measured response, really, given what had gone on in the background and how let down he actually felt by Alpine mm -hmm. management. Yeah, look, I think in terms of whether this is the right call, it is. It is tough. It's a tough one for exactly the reason you just outlined. It wasn't a clear cut choice between Alpine and McLaren because I think had it been that we may have seen a different outcome, but he was picking Williams and not just Williams for a year, potentially two, you know, the, 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 the roadmap that was put out there was if Alonso wants two more years, he's going to get it and you're going to spend two years at, at, at Williams. And then you'll be a uh, Alpine race driver in 2025 and, and 2026. It was a four year deal that was on the table to potentially two at McLaren, two at Alpine. Um, I guess the question is, 
you know, now now that direct our pain promotion was on the table, was McLaren the right choice? I'm not too sure on that. I think with the benefit of hindsight, I would always back the factory team um, and the team that's actually in better form than McLaren and not having to put yourself up against Lando Norris, which I think is going to be a pretty stern test um, for, for Oscar. But it just feels like there's already way too much water under the bridge and too many hurt feelings to backtrack. So I think, that, you know, even if you took out the fact that he already had a deal with McLaren, it was already signed, so he couldn't backtrack anyway once Alonso left, would would you be able to walk back from from all the stuff that's gone on? Probably not. No. I like to, to be honest, I'm not as smitten by the whole factory team thing as you are. Like, I'd actually back McLaren in to outperform Alpine over the next five-year period. But certainly when you look at how it's played out, like Alpine's handling of Piastri doesn't exactly suggest it values him that highly, does it? Like, he, he won the F2 title in 2021 and their plan didn't have him in an Alpine race seat until 2025. Like, McLaren wanted him so badly that they're paying big money to Ricardo to open the seat for him. So... I think at the end of the day, you go where you wanted. Yeah, I think McLaren are seeing this as a as as a huge opportunity to have one hell of a driver lineup in Lando Norris uh, and Oscar Piastri, and they are grabbing it with both hands, which again seemed ruthless when we didn't know exactly uh, all the details, but now it just seems like this opportunity fell in their lap, and they went, "Whoa, hang on a minute, we have to do this. We have to make this make this happen." It's it's funny you talk about Alpine valuing Oscar because. I've mentioned this on the pod before. We sat there with Laurent Rossi at the in Melbourne earlier this year, and the way he spoke about Oscar, it was like he was talking about a family member. Like he seemed to have these really genuine, strong feelings about wanting this guy to succeed and wanting to win world championships, and being so confident that he was going to be a world champion and he was going to be a world champion with our pain. So when you sort of now see how it played out, and it does give off this distinct impression that. They were that they, they, they didn't want to rush getting him into the seat. It just it just doesn't match up. I guess it's important to flag that you know the, the management structure at Alpine has changed in the time since when all this saga actually kicked off, which was which was last year, um, and not even right right at the end of last year. So not all of the people, I guess, you know. Otmar's copping a lot. He's not necess- He wasn't necessarily involved in some of the bits of this that actually turned it so ugly, but still you could definitely question how he's handled elements of it um, since then. I guess a- another interesting thing to come out of the clarifying of the timeline of all this is, you know, when the talks between Oscar and McLaren started and the relationship to Daniel Ricciardo's split with McLaren because it looked a lot like Dan had been blindsided by all of this, particularly given... Um, his Instagram post on July 13 reiterating his commitment to McLaren when Piastri had signed his McLaren deal on July 4. But it turns out that Dan may have known he was on the way out as early as May. So it's a stretch to kind of, I guess there's been this feeling of, you know, has has Oscar kicked Dan out of McLaren and potentially out of Formula 1? But it feels, looking at the timeline, it's a stretch to blame Dan's exit on Oscar, yeah? Totally. I mean, Ricardo is out because he's underperforming badly. And that's not Piastri's fault. So surely if Piastri wasn't contractually available, they would have gone with someone else. Like they yeah. just can't have a driver going as badly as Ricardo's been going. Like when you look at what the Constructors' Championship means and what that means financially, like it sounds massive to have to pay him all this money to not drive the car, but it's going to be costing him more money to have him in the car with how badly he's going. Yeah. So 
Well, they've obviously reached that conclusion. I mean, that's obviously, you know, they would have sat down and looked at all that and, and made that decision. Yeah, exactly. And and as soon as this Piastri saga became public, it, it did look like that Instagram post uh, that you referenced there from Ricardo was a strategic move uh, on his part. He was setting out his stall so it could be used yeah. as a reference, um, possibly in the severance talks as well as just publicly. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, to be honest, I think McLaren has handled this pretty well. They, they didn't sort of uh, look all that great when all the narrative was coming from Alpine. But when you look yeah. back at all the facts, um, doing that contract with Piastri the way it was an option that gave him that time to sort Ricardo out, that was quite smart. And I think to Ricardo's credit as well, like there were some comments from him over the weekend talking about the fact he reached out to Oscar after all this started coming out and just having that conversation to tell him there's no ill feeling, it's not personal, he understands that. So yeah. I do hope that um, this doesn't hurt Piastri's standing with the Australian public because it uh, it really shouldn't. I guess one thing that will affect that a little bit is what actually happens to Ricardo from here. It's not really looking great for him, is it? No, no, not really. I mean, you know, in terms of where he goes next, it's a, it's a, it's kind of becoming a, a fairly intriguing question. I mean, we all thought an Alpine return was the obvious outcome, uh, but it seems that Alpine's preference is to sign Pierre Gasly, um, and that AlphaTauri wants Colton Herder in as Gasly's replacement. Um, there's a few things that need to 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 sort of fall into place for that to happen. So, Formula One has to grant. Um, Colton Herder an exemption for a super license, which may or may not happen. It seems that if they don't do that and AlphaTauri can't get the American that it wants to bring into the sport, um, and you would think that Formula One, obviously they want an American as well because that market is booming on the back of the neck, net, off the back of the Netflix thing and all that sort of stuff. But if they can't get Herder, they might not necessarily release Gasly. Um, and that could bring all that to, to, to a halt. But look, in the, Somewhat likely case that that does happen. Um, Ricardo's options are, I guess, Haas and Williams. If he wants to continue in a race seat next season, he'd have to be willing to take on a project and 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 accept the fact that you know, I guess, it, I mean, he's not all that competitive at the moment, but um, that would be something that would continue. Another option is that he takes a sabbatical, takes a reserve driver role, and sees if something frees up um, for twenty twenty four. It's just so hard to sort of tell how badly this little stint has hurt his reputation. And we talked, you know, when we when I spoke to Luke Smith last week, you know, he referenced the fact that McLaren are to blame for the fact that Ricardo is underperforming. So I guess the big test is going to be whether the same thing happens to Piastri or whether they can get him up to speed and, and have him somewhere in the same postcode at least um, as Lando Norris. Otherwise, it sort of looks like, okay, what's actually going on at this team that no one seems to be able to come in and drive this other car and get anything out of it. But, yeah, I mean, for Dan now, I think it it may well come down to Haas-Williams or, or having a year off. Yeah, I think for Piastri there's going to be a little bit more um, sort of acceptance if he comes in below Norris because, like, Ricardo was being paid as the lead driver. Yeah. Um, there was a yeah. lot of expectation there where Oscar shouldn't have quite that level. But, um, yeah, just looking at Ricardo, like, I really do, as as bad as it sounds for him to be back in a Haas or a Williams, I do hope he ends up in one of those seats because I don't think that having a year off would necessarily result in him getting back in. I mean, his position's been eroded so greatly that if he's out, he could really be out, which would be a shame to see it all end like that. You mentioned the the Herder thing as well. 
it's um it's kind of like we've had a few super license debates here but this is next level with like Red Bull now like treating it like a hostage situation that they're like we yeah. we're not going to release Gasly unless you give her a super license that's yeah. uh that's quite quite a thing yeah, and it's sort of there does seem to be this sort of standoff where, you know, I think Stefano Domenicali said that, you know, we can't just dish out super licenses because someone's got a certain passport, but it would be a great thing for Formula One to have an American. And I think that surely there's people at F1 HQ that fully understand the benefits that would come for that. So it's gonna be uh it's gonna be quite interesting. But I, I totally agree that if Ricardo doesn't grab a seat somewhere next year, we may well not see him in Formula One again. Let's move on to some of the supercars news that's kicking about this week now, Stefan. And uh, a lot of it is actually centred around the Blanchard Racing Team. Now, Todd Hazelwood is the outright favourite to replace Tim Slade there next season. Just to sort of recap, Lee Holdsworth was the favourite for that seat until he announced his retirement after Sandown. Um, so now it appears that, that that Hazelwood won't take up an option to continue with Matt Stone Racing next season. That was a multi-year deal originally, but... Um, there's been public statements from Matt Stone saying, yes, there is. we are in discussions about the future, so it's not clear-cut that he has to stay, and it seems that he will head to BRT. Instead, Stefan, is this a good move for Todd, do you think? Well, the jury's probably out a little bit on that, considering how this season's gone for, for the Cool Drive team, but obviously mm. Todd thinks it's a good move. And this is a classic case where Matt Stone Racing announced Hazelwood and LeBrock on two-year deals at the start of this season. But the reality was that they were one-plus-ones with the option yeah. for the second year on the team side. So it seems that Todd has found himself an opportunity to go to Blanchard's and has now asked MSR not to take up their option on him. So there's a discussion yeah. going on on there about a release. But when, when you look at it, there's been a lot of talk about that cool drive car having a big dip in form in recent rounds this year, but the same's actually happened with Hazelwood at MSR. Like if you just look totally. at the qualifying, Hazelwood versus LeBrock, since Winton, the head-to-head there is 12-2 in favour of LeBrock. Yeah. So clearly something's yeah. not working there and the discontent around that would be mutual, no doubt. Like nothing drives change like poor performance. So that's um, probably going to be at the heart of what's going on. But just going actually back to the Blanchard team and where that that team is. So you mentioned off the top about the team manager there, Brendan Hogan, stepping away from the race team and moving into the cool drive business itself. What's uh, what's the situation there? That's a surprise um, to a lot of people. Yeah, I think it did come as a bit of a surprise. I mean, he was he missed the Sandown Super Sprint um, due to illness, um, and now he'll be out for at least the remainder of the season as part of this kind of reshuffle with the team and the wider cool drive business. Yeah, I guess it does come as a surprise because um, I don't know, there was obviously some sort of discontent between, you know, Tim Slade and Brendan Hogan and it sort of felt like the Slade exit might kind of steady that ship but you know now it's now it's Brendan that's that that's kind of stepping away um as well so basically what he's going to do is leave the race team and go and work for Hulk Full Drives the, the Hulk Full Drive suspension brand which is owned by Cool Drive it's quite appropriate given his nickname within the paddock is is Hulk Hulk Hogan um so yeah Timmy Blanchard and Matt Nielsen they'll share that team manager role until the end of the season and I guess then they'll reevaluate what they're going to do um in a more 
permanent sense in terms of does Brendan come back or do do they need to hire someone else or whatever. Now, just to just to fully clarify it, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail um, because it's a personal matter, but you know, it, it it does seem that that Brendan is taking a break from racing for personal reasons more than anything to do with personalities or performances or or whatever, but I guess it just sort of adds to what's been a rocky season for that BRT team with so little consistency um, in terms of staffing and then this sort of messy split with Tim Slade and there was definitely some, you know, some some people, you know, he wasn't necessarily super happy with, with how things were going at the bend in terms of chopping and changing engineers. Hopefully there is a bit more stability coming you know if they if they know what they're doing with their driver i think that will be announced the hazelwood thing will be announced sooner rather than later um mirko de rosa should be back for bathurst he's had surgery on his back and and, and hasn't been able to attend the racetrack but he will be back there the team's expecting him to be back from bathurst onwards so you know hopefully they can just start getting to a point where they can have a bit more consistency and they can they can sort of start building towards the gen three year and and and, and maybe get a bit closer to the point here. Sometimes, Stefan, we've seen it so many times, it just takes a bit of a refresh for a team and a driver, you know, and in that uh, to, to sort of come in and, and, and find some form again. So I think, you know, that it's not impossible that we might see that in this case, that this might help Toddy find some form and, and a change might help the team sort of get back on its feet a little bit as well. Yeah, could be uh, mutually beneficial. Um, now, I guess attention kind of uh, shifts now to what, MSR does um, if they're going to need a driver. That team is traditionally focused on youth uh, before it went for that more experienced pair of Hazelwood and Jack LeBrock for this season. Stefan, could you see a return to the youth policy now that they need a driver? Could we see a, a Jaden Ojeda or, or an Aaron Seaton or a Declan Fraser in the frame to, to, to land that seat alongside Jack at MSR next season? Well, Matt Stone has suggested publicly that he'd like to run a rookie if Hazelwood isn't in that car next year. And as you point out, there's a few to choose from, all uh, all with varying levels of, of backing, no doubt. It's interesting that Matt flagged a rookie as being appealing partly based on getting the three rookie test days which would be especially handy in the first year of Gen 3. We talked about that rule a few weeks back and the controversy over that, the fact that first and second year drivers get these three days now that it's become clear that they can actually use those at at different circuits. Um, So it feels like we haven't heard the last of all that. No, no, I think you're right there. I mean, that Supercars does want to clarify the rule, but what direction they go in clarifying it, you know, I, I feel that they were pretty comfortable with what Triple Eight have done this year in terms of using different circuits. And yeah, what a what an advantage when you've got, you know, you look at Tickford will still have Tommy Randall able to do rookie days. Yep, that, and that's that is that is intriguing that that suddenly becomes a factor because we saw MSR move away from having rookies. They were running rookies and struggling with that and went, okay, we need experienced drivers and now that's enough to tempt them sort of back into into the young driver world. Speaking of young drivers, uh, it seems that BJR is on the cusp of a bit of a Bathurst 1000 coup by signing Kiwi Jackson Evans. Um, Jackson is he's part of the Porsche program and competes in Super Cup in Europe. Um, he's going to undergo an evaluation day with BJR on September 19 and it seems all but a lock that he'll land alongside Jack Smith uh, for Bathurst, Stefan Jackson doesn't have much in the way of Supercars experience. I think he's done he's done the odd test day here and there, but he's clearly you know a, a real talent. Is this a good get for BJR and for Jack Smith? 
Yeah, he'd certainly be a good addition to the race if they uh, do end up doing that deal. Uh, he did an evaluation day, a Super 2 day with Walkinshaws at the end of 2018. Uh, but other than that, his career has been very much focused around around Porsches. That 2018 was, of course, the year he won Career Cup Australia, and then he's been overseas since. So not a lot of experience in supercars, but he's obviously a pro. So it would be interesting to see how he goes up at Bathurst. Well, we're off to New Zealand this weekend for the first time since 2019. I will admit to having some minor passport panic in the last few days, given I hadn't used the thing since January 2020. <laughs> Had to tear the house apart to find it, but I did find it, so that's good news. I will be able to cross the ditch. Um, Kiwi drivers do generally just go really well in New Zealand. Um, I don't think we need to muse too long on who the favourite will be heading into the weekend. I think Shane Van Gisbergen will be pretty tough to beat. We obviously won't have that all Kiwi SVG versus Scotty Mack thing going on like we had the last couple of times we were there. But I don't know, could could you know this could be a weekend where Andre Heimgartner really takes the fight to Giz. I I just have a feeling about that. There's some you know, if you factor in some good old fashioned Pookie Mojo for a Kiwi and, and BJR has had success there in the past, you know, he could be in the fight. What do you reckon, Stefan? Am I being a bit ambitious there or 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 could could Andre maybe Make it interesting against Giz. Oh, I feel like he's he's probably the sentimental favourite. Not only being a Kiwi, yep. but he's driving Car Eight for Brad Jones Racing, yep. which was of course yep. the Jason Richards entry back in the day. Yep. So Car Eight won the inaugural Jason Richards Trophy with uh, Jason Bright at the wheel in 2013. And if uh, yeah, if Andre could do it uh, at this last Pukekohe round. Um, that'd be just an incredible story. But, yeah, as you say, he's going to have to find a way through Shane Van Gisbergen to win it, which uh, won't be easy. But it's another venue where supercars hasn't been to since 2019 and a lot's changed in that time. There's there's a few things to get on top of, like they haven't even run the control damper there before. So, yeah, um, yeah who knows? The, the only thing you can really guarantee is the place is going to be absolutely packed. Oh, I, I have to say I'm really, really, really looking forward to this weekend. The atmosphere is always amazing at Pukekohe. And being the first round there in three years and the last one before it closes, I think it's uh, it's going to be wild. I really can't wait to get over there. Well, last week we talked about the impending retirement of Lee Holdsworth as a Supercars full-timer. Supercars, The Supercars nice guy will hang up his helmet uh, at the end of this season as a full-timer. He will be back for Bathurst, of course. Um, and he's doing so despite having an option uh, to stay on the grid full-time next year. So I grabbed Lee to have a talk through his decision to retire, and uh, here's what he had to say. Yeah, so I mean, from all indications, the the Blanchard Racing Team seat was yours if you wanted it. How close were you to continuing full time in twenty twenty three? It was it was a bit of a fifty fifty call to be honest. So uh, I hadn't gone down very far in talks um, on next year, but um, I guess before it went too far, I, I thought you know I, I had to really assess where I was at and what I wanted for my future. So um, I, I think, you know, that Sandown round when I hit 500 races, that was a big uh, a big moment for me where I thought that's probably enough. <laughs> you know, 500 races is, is a big achievement and, um, and I thought it was probably, you know, it's probably about time that, uh, that I start focusing on my career outside of motorsport and, um, and all, you know, and, and putting some time back into the family and, 
you know, they've been very supportive over the years. So um, I want to be there for all the sporting matches and all the rest of it. And Alana sacrificed a lot as well. So, um, yeah, it was, I made that call pretty early and I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I, I could spend the rest of the year enjoying myself and uh, basically do, do the last four rounds of my retirement tour. So it was as recently as Sandown that you kind of landed on the decision to, to call it quits full-time? Uh, I think at Sandown I was still thinking that I might go again. Um, yep. But it was after Sandown where I really had to reflect on everything and um, and make a, a difficult decision. And I, I suppose it just didn't seem fair not to be, you know, I've got this part-time job at the moment. I, I want to go full-time with it. There's enough work to go full-time. And it's probably not fair to, to be full-time in supercars whilst you're not going to be 110%, you know, focused on um, – on doing it, you know, properly. Um, so yeah, it never seems to work. We've seen drivers try and do it, and it never seems to really work. It doesn't. Yeah. So you know, I think you know when you're in this when you're in this sport, you have to be pretty committed, very committed. Um, and uh, and yeah, there's there's plenty of people on the sidelines that would love an opportunity, and um, you know, uh, they probably at a point where they might want it more than me for that full time gig. So. You know, it's only fair, I think, to give someone else that opportunity. Um, and but, but from my own point of view, um, you know, I think it's uh, it would be unfair not to commit fully to uh, my other job as well. Is there an element to this that's about you know retiring on your own terms after you sort of had the rug pulled out from under you at the end of twenty twenty with the with the sort of five into three scenario yeah. that Tim yeah. had found itself in? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fitting to be able to do this. You know, I, when I signed with Groves, I always knew it was a twelve-month deal, um, yep. and and I always had the thought in my head that it was probably going to be like my last year as a full-time driver, and I was you know satisfied with that. Um, I didn't know that there would be another opportunity uh, for for next year, so um, I yeah I, I I thought it was pretty cool to be able to say. You know, like you said, after 2020 finishing the way it did, um, it wasn't the way I wanted to bow out of the sport after so long. So to get the opportunity to come back in full-time with Grove Racing, Penrite Racing, and, and call it on my own terms was massively part of the um, the decision-making process. I actually mentioned this on the pod last week. Do you ever look at that split with Tickford as kind of a blessing in disguise? Because, I mean, you're a Bathurst 1000 champion now. You've had this opportunity to come back and finish on your own terms and, you know, perform to a level where there was interest from other teams in, into keeping you on, do you sort of go, okay, it was a crappy situation at the time, but it actually led to some pretty cool things? Yeah, so so after 2020, it certainly was – was uh, that came as a shock and I didn't have anything sorted for 2021. Um, you know, I had the contract up until the end of 2021, so I was pretty happy with where I was sitting and, and the direction we were going uh, at Tickford. Um so yeah, sort of had the the rug pulled out from underneath me, and um, uh, but to be honest, it couldn't have worked out better. And I always look back at these things. Sometimes in the moment, you you don't think things are happening for a reason, but I certainly look back on it now and go, man, I'm I'm actually stoked that that happened because I can now, you know, I've got my name on the on the Peter Brock Trophy, and uh, you know, I I don't I probably wouldn't have that. I I, I probably 
um, you know, that wouldn't have happened, I don't think, if uh, if those circumstances hadn't have played out the way they did. And then to get the opportunity to come back and finish on my own terms, it's it's pretty amazing. Plus, that that year last year was a bit of a kick in the ass um, to get myself into gear and and start you know working on a career outside of motorsport because I really you know if I if I had a run out of options um, at the end of last year finishing up my contract with Tickford um, I may not have had somewhere to go I may have um, you know there's there's all those question marks but I, I certainly wouldn't have had anything in place outside of motorsport to step into. And um, I've got such a great opportunity now um, that I want to grab it with both hands. And everything I do, I try to do, uh, you know, with, with full commitment and uh, and dedication. And um, so I don't want to be going half-assed on, on either side of the fence, you know, in, in racing or uh, in commercial real estate. I really want to succeed in anything I do. So, um, yeah, it, it's just unbelievable how it's played out, and I'm I'm really pleased with the way it's um, yeah, with <laughs> looking back, the way it actually played out. Tell us a bit about about this day job, this this role with CBRE. What what are you actually sort of doing? It's obviously something that you are enjoying if if you're willing to 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 give racing a miss to go and have a proper shake at it. Yeah, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. It's a massive challenge. Um, so I'm I'm involved in capital markets for CBRE. Um, and I look after a new business line that they they nearly even created a little bit because I because I got involved and it's because of the contacts that I've made throughout this, um, my time in the sport. Um, so I'm I'm basically I'm I'm looking after service stations, car dealerships, anything automotive related, basically oil and gas, um, you know, also solar energy, uh, and and so looking after transactions, um, buying. Uh, you know, buying and selling real estate. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting and it's funny because a lot of the people in the industry in, in, in car racing are involved in, you know, those, those sort of that sort of field yeah. um, and with the sponsors that I've had over the years, you know, your oil sponsors and um, a number of different sort of parties have, have, uh, have already been in contact with and, um, and, and probably likely to do business with. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, there is a, a close relationship there between what I've done and what I'm doing now. I guess it sort of shows the importance of uh, of working with sponsors, not just when you're a race car driver, but you know for your life beyond driving racing cars. Yeah, We've yeah, seen absolutely. that with other guys. Absolutely. And I went to a function just a few weeks back, and it was a like an AFL function lunch. And one of the ex players there said, uh, "I think he got asked the question: what would what would be the best piece of advice you'd give give to a an athlete, and he said, "Build the relationships around you, whether it's with sponsors, other players, um, anyone you meet, because it'll open up new opportunities outside of, outside of sport. And you can always lean on those things um, because without sport, it's very hard to then, you know, after you after you're done with your full time career, um, there's not much of a stepping stone into something else. You know, you, you've either got no, to have yep. a family business or uh, or a degree in something else. And, um, you know, we sacrifice our whole life and career. We devote it to that one thing, which is racing. You know, we live and breathe it every single day. And if you're not focused on it, um, well, sorry, if yeah, well, I guess if you're not focused on it, you're not going to do as well as you could have. So, um, yeah. 
if you if you focused on something else, there's a good chance that um, yeah, you you're uh, you're going to be left behind. So. Um, I've I've just been very fortunate in picking up this opportunity. I want to run run with it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Now, I'm going to finish with a bit of a curly one for you now. There's a theory out there that part of your exit from Walkinshaw's at the end of 2021, um, then releasing you from your contract, was that you do go back in 2023 or when you do finish driving full-time. Is a reunion with, with WAU for Bathurst next year a done deal? <laughs> no, no. Look, uh, at this stage, um, uh, I, I I'm not really focused on you know where I'm where I'm going to be at for enduros. Um, haven't signed anything yet for next year. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty relaxed about it. I think you know that stuff will play itself out. No one really likes to talk about enduros until around that Bathurst time or shortly after. Um, so we'll just, yeah, I just want to completely focus on the job ahead. And I've still got four rounds ahead of me to, is it four? I think it's four. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've lost track as well, to, mate, don't worry. <laughs> to do the best job I can for Penrite Racing and um, and try and finish my full-time career on a high because, you know, it's probably, you know, it's no secret. This year's been tough with um, tuning this car up and I've had, uh, you know, a little bit of inconsistency between Dave's car and my car in, in balance and we're starting to find a few things that are different um, that we just need to understand them and, and fix them and then, you know, apply them uh, the best the best we can to, to put a good car on the track. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah, over the next month or so, um, I'll have something in place. I think you can afford to be reasonably relaxed as the bloke who won the race last year and with another year of full-time <laughs> racing. I think I think things will work out for you just fine and I reckon we might see you in a pretty competitive car at Bathurst next year. No, let's hope so. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just excited, you know, obviously to finish this year off um, with some results and then to have that that uh, that chance to come back and win Bathurst um, is really exciting for me and that was one of the things I had to weigh up this year also was – you know, do I want to come back and challenge for who knows, you know, what what positions? I didn't really know where the team was going to be at this year, but I knew that if I went again with um, with WAU uh, with Chaz, um, if that was to happen again, um, that that I would have had another shot at winning Bathurst because we rolled out a pretty bloody good car last year, and no doubt mm. they'll have a, a good one again this year. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, you know, a lot of people sitting at home probably don't realise how much that one means to us all, but you can have a shocker of a year uh, and then and then have that one good race and uh, and everything else means nothing. So, I mean, and, and the good thing is, you know, in with, with enduro drivers, there's guys like Luffy and, you know, Lounsey have been around for a long time yet. Those guys, they just keep coming back and, and doing a great job as enduro drivers and, you know, you could be, endurance driving, having a shot of winning Bathurst for the next five to ten years, and and that excites me. Uh, Stefan, some pretty interesting stuff there, certainly about the fact that, you know, that Lee's 500th race was kind of the moment he went, oh, I think I've done enough of this. And I know we played it down a little bit in terms of there being a deal already done, but there is a lot of talk about that WAU return being basically a formality. That seems like it would be a pretty good move for both driver, for Lee to go back to, you know, the team that he won Bathurst was, and for the team, I mean, if they 
if Fabian was still available and they ended up with, with, with Lee Holdsworth and Fabian Coulthard as their co-drivers, that's, that's a pretty gnarly lineup. Yeah, Walkinshaw has obviously let Lee out of a multi-year co-driving contract when that sort of unexpected Grove racing opportunity came up. But the Grove chance really was always shaped as being one year. So whether they actually put an option on Lee to get him back, like a contractual one or or not, I'm sure the conversation would have been had. And I'd be very, very surprised to uh, see him anywhere but back with Walkinshaws at Bathurst uh, next year. And uh, it'd be a shame, though, if that did mean that uh, Luffy was uh, was out oh, no. because he's had a yeah. great, great innings there. He's, uh, he's such a great story every uh, every Bathurst. Yeah, just gets in the car and gets on with it and nah, very, uh, very impressive. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Max Verstappen extended his championship lead with a victory in his home Formula One Grand Prix at Zandvoort. Virtual and real safety car periods brought an unlikely Lewis Hamilton one stopper undone uh, and secured victory for the Dutchman ahead of George Russell and Charles Leclerc while Hamilton slipped back to fourth. By the finish, Daniel Ricciardo had a pretty tough day and was only good enough for 17th. Uh, Marcus Armstrong won the F2 sprint race and Philippe Drugovich the feature, while the F3 sprint race went to Hayo Colette and the feature to Zane Maloney. Scott McLaughlin is now a three-time IndyCar race winner. The Kiwi kept his title hopes alive by leading an all-Antipodean podium ahead of Will Power and Scott Dixon in Portland. Uh, Power did admit he asked for teammate McLaughlin to be moved aside, given he leads the points, but that didn't happen, uh, which came as a surprise to Dixon, who later said he expected the Pensy cars to swap positions and that it would have been a no-brainer. Francesco Bagnaia took a fourth straight MotoGP win in San Marino, beating Ania Bastianini and Maverick Vinales. Jack Miller crashed out of the lead on lap two and finished 18th, one spot ahead of Remy Gardner. Gardner, meanwhile, will part ways with KTM and Tech 3 at the end of the current MotoGP season. He says he was told by KTM that he's not professional enough, but KTM disputes that claim. And Eric Jones took a shock win in NASCAR's Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. He beat Denny Hamlin and Tyler Reddick. Okay, Stefan, it is Castrol mailbag time. Now, Lachlan Freeman asks who the most underrated driver to come out of Australia or New Zealand is. That's a very broad question and a pretty tough one to answer there, Lachlan. But one underrated talent that I'll pick from the from modern times is, is Brendan Hartley. Um, he was basically dropped by Red Bull twice in his career, once before he got to Formula 1 in 2010 and once after a stint with Toro Rosso in Formula 1. But he has really excelled in sports cars with, with three Le Mans wins, one for Porsche and two for Toyota. And he's a two-time world endurance champion with Porsche as well, which ain't too shabby and he probably doesn't quite get the recognition um, for what he has achieved. Stefan, who, who's your underrated talent? Well, I'll stick with the Kiwi theme and go with Scott Dixon. Like what he's done in IndyCar over the last 20 years now is just phenomenal, obviously winning six titles and going into this weekend with a chance of a seventh. Like whether you want to call him underrated or undervalued or however you yeah, want to frame un- it. underappreciated like, or something like that. Yeah, he certainly doesn't get the plaudits he would if he was in Formula One or even supercars, to be honest, in this part of the world. Like the same could be said of Will Power too in terms of the recognition, yeah. especially in mainstream media. Like IndyCar is just that little bit more niche but, um, yeah, those two are absolutely world-class, clearly. Mm. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who's getting your nice little gold star this week? 
Well, I'm really leaning into the kiwi flavour for this episode. So <laughs> this my, is a very kiwi-heavy episode. I guess it makes sense. My star of the week is Greg Murphy, who's going to be a huge part of the Pukekohe farewell this weekend. I think apart from perhaps Brock and Bathurst, I don't think there's ever been a stronger connection between an individual driver and a circuit in this part of the world than Murph and Pukekohe. His wins there in the early 2000s really supercharged the Kiwi interest in supercars and set the platform for the drivers who have come afterwards. I love the fact Murph's going to be back on the TV coverage this weekend. He's going to be racing a Sierra in some support races. And, of course, he's going to be racing in the Bathurst 1000 next month as a wild card. So he's my star of the week. And I just hope they've got a batch of those mighty Murph pies there at Pukekohe for you to uh, get into as well. Well, hang on, what's a mighty Murph pie? Oh, about uh, probably like ten years ago. Now there was a there was a run of Murph branded pies that uh, the where? Kiwis went uh, oh, mad right. for. I'll be keeping an eye out for that. I was just going to eat white bait fritters the whole but time. Check check the expiry date if they do hand you one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I was just going to eat white bait fritters all weekend, but maybe I'll keep an eye. I'm actually going to uh, to have a, a hopefully a very a very in detail chat about Murph's. Um, about his love of Pukekohe and his connection to the place for for Autosport magazine in uh, in in Hawke's Bay in the in the couple of days, well, in the day after the Pukekohe weekend. So it's going to be quite special, I think, to sit down with him and reflect on his time there. Because, like, I think you summed it up perfectly there by saying that you know, apart from Brock and Bathurst, that really is an amazing connection between driver uh, and circuit. Um, all right. So for my star, you touched on this earlier, but I think it's worth just going over again. You know, I'm going to give mine to, to Daniel Ricciardo. Um, this week, I think his response to the whole McLaren axing has been classy to say the least. Um, obviously, the timing hasn't been as brutal as it may have initially looked, um, but from what he's saying about his conversations with both Oscar and Mark Webber, you know, he's handled himself very, very well. And, you know, as a fellow West Aussie, I can't help but, but fling him a Castrol Star of the Week this time around. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.